welcome everyone as Fantastic Youth reflects on Star Wars Celebration Europe 2023. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello there, Pete. Hello there, Matt. Hello there, everybody. Here to talk to you today about all the goings on, all the news coming out of Star Wars Celebration this four-day weekend. Pete, it's a great time to be reflecting on pop culture. We, of course, normally, it's either Marvel or Star Trek or Star Wars. Got to add a fourth, uh, perhaps growing, jewel in the crown <laughs> uh, by going to see and podcasting the Super Mario Brothers movie, which uh, did $20 million of box office yesterday, adding to its uh, adding to its total and uh, really zooming along there at the box office. Yeah, the thing is a runaway cart if you will uh so you can check out our thoughts over there on the pop culture podcast by fantastic geek feed but matt let's dig right into the proceedings here related to star wars friday uh that of course april 7th good friday if you celebrate uh, kicked off Star Wars Celebration Europe with the big, big Lucasfilm Studio Showcase. That's your Star Wars and your Indiana Jones, which we'll bring in here towards the end. Uh, but uh, we began with uh, Kathleen Kennedy, that despite, uh, you know, people saying she's embattled and you know, not getting getting it done, uh, presided over a really exciting uh, couple days of news. Uh, absolutely. Particularly, I would think, with the, <laughs> as people might know, with the leadership changes at Disney in the last you know year or so and some of the cost-cutting and so forth, um, all of that, I think, only securing her position for as long as she would like to have it, just in terms of Star Wars really being a top performer on Disney+, Plus, even as gears have been a bit shifted there. And with perhaps a slight stutter step over at Marvel Studios, you know, one senses Star Wars uh, is, is ascending, particularly with uh, the forthcoming return to the movies that we'll be talking about and all of that, and... Um, Kathleen Kennedy, a steward of Star Wars, uh, still in place there. So in terms of how they were presented, we'll go through that. And then, of course, some of these uh, shows had their own dedicated panels that will kind of wind into this. But they began with uh, Andor uh, and the second season now in production is slated to be so until August and they've committed to 2024 and even showed a teaser just to the people there. But uh, we've also been able to check it out. <laughs> it's amazing what can show up on Reddit mere minutes afterwards and so forth. And, uh, and go away. Uh, true. Um, great to see some of that footage. Great to kind of have a date. Um, I feel like sometimes with some of these series and storylines and so forth there is the possibility of kind of the 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 best buy date the use by this date kind of fading quickly on some properties not i would say for andor given it's slightly more serious tone and uh pete they say august 2024 i'm just going to put september on my calendar just because <laughs> sometimes these shows come out a little bit later than they than they plan for but you know the the notion of this complete Andor meal, two seasons, 24 episodes, uh, concluding with the movie we have. I would also like to dust off the theory. Maybe we get a re-edited Rogue One with some of the, you know, as people know, it was put into reshoots. Maybe they turned it into a larger version, a miniseries, whatever it is. I feel like that might be called for, but that weighs away. Andor 2 on the space radar now. Showrunner Tony Gilroy, who, of course, jumped in on Rogue One to rescue that production and also with Andor, ironically, um, you know, has talked so much knowing the ending and how to get there and all that. But let's be honest of what this was as well. This was a, a chance and they went through, you know, the making of this weekend. It was a separate panel 
this is the beginning portion of the Emmy push. Um, they are a favorite to land a nomination for best drama. Um, really made headway with this show. And by touting what they've shot so far, they've been, you know, uh, shooting since November already, um, you know, and, and putting together that teaser again, only screen for the people who were at Star Wars Celebration. But uh, for me, some of the highlights in terms of what we saw really kind of recapturing the tone of that original teaser of the, the characters uh, walking from behind and, and flipping, you know, back and forth to them <clears throat> and the return of everybody's favorite mixtape maker, Dr. Gorst. I would add to that, Pete, proof of the impact that Andor has had with Star Wars fans. And this is something I just saw footage of today, although obviously it's from the, the celebration weekend and so forth. Well-known, uh, you know, at Star Wars conventions, there's the, is it Wilro Hood? Who's the guy with yes. the, right? So there's the, the uh, ice cream maker guy. So that at conventions, people dress up like Wilro Hood and do a run uh, as he runs and so forth. Pete, now there are people dressed up as uh, the, the prisoners, uh, you know, from the, the prison portion and Narkina they do a run. Five. Narkina five indeed. And, you know, no, uh, one way out, one way out the whole nine yards. Um, I saw that and that, that was just, just, I think a wonderful love letter to the show that people are doing that. Yeah. And uh, the spontaneous one way out um, chance breaking out just really, really great. I know that Diego Luna uh, and um, Andy Serkis uh, posed with them at one point. Um, Andy Serkis was there as well. Um, and, you know, he tells fans, I've seen your memes and all that. I, I really don't think they, yes, you're in his country um, in London. Uh, probably not a real difficult thing for him to go down to the local Star Wars convention. I really think they're going to find a way to bring him back in this second season. You almost have to, like we've discussed before, if they wanted to kill him off, he could have simply been killed off. And you could have said, really got me when he took one last gasp and then went under the waves, that kind of thing. Um, but Pete, I love the contrast here. You know, obviously Andor, this super success critically, and I think think with viewers, um, but in a very well-known portion of the time period, to then contrast that with a panel about and footage from the Acolyte taking place about 100 years prior as we move into this High Republic era, Star Wars is wise to cultivate you know, whatever this master formula is in terms of nostalgia plus new. Um, you know, They've made a choice to go into a new time period here with the High Republic era, and I applaud them uh, you know, for doing that. Yeah, um, this show really kind of concealed behind all the other stuff they've been doing and to have a uh, showrunner here, Leslie Headland talk about the pitch being frozen meets kill bill in this tale that takes the perspective of those underdog Sith that every, everybody's always, you know, Oh, they're th those, those little Sith that, that can what with their master and apprentice and always too there are, you know, we're really hoping for them one day to, you know, come around and take control of the galaxy. If nothing else, it'll be interesting to have star Wars exist in this place of, uh, let's say short term stability, that of the high Republic. Like we're not expecting, you know, it's not an Andor type situation. Like at the end of, at the end of the acolyte, that's when the Sith is there. You know, we know that that's not the case. We know that there's plenty of old Republic, uh, to be existing and so forth. So it'll be interesting just to see them explore that, that particular flavor. Uh, and then just the, the, the number of people that are going to be in this show or, have been in the making of it. You know, obviously it's there's not even a release date yet, so I'm not quite sure which which tense we give it, future or past or present or whatever. But Pete, take us through some of the people who are in it. So, I mean, 
in terms of joining uh, Hedlund on stage there, she came out with a Wookiee Jedi. It was uh, not Eunice uh, Soetamo inside that suit, but he will be returning. This is the uh, actor who has taken over Chewbacca. Uh, he will be returning for the Acolyte as a Wookiee Jedi. That's exciting. I know that in the footage I saw before it was pulled down from Reddit, uh, much applause from the audience as they saw the Carrie Ann Moss character there. I mean, my goodness, Pete, what a what a career! Obviously, from her, you know, her, her height of fame in The Matrix, and then some time away to be a mom. Also, Hollywood saying, "Oh, you're not, you know, late twenties, early thirties anymore," and that whole process, you know, going through some of the Marvel stuff, and now, you know, Star Wars. For goodness' sake. Yeah, and, you know, though playing a Jedi, the footage there, um, kung fu, some knife wielding, you know, really awesome. And everything she brings as uh, a dramatic and a physical performer, um, you know, Matt, she's she's got the Star Wars portion. She's got the Marvel portion. She's she's closing in on Ming-Na Wen territory. <laughs> That she is. Um, I know that uh, Squid Game's Lee Jung-Jae is in it as well as a Jedi Master. And uh, certainly a welcome presence there. And again, it'll be interesting, among other things, it'll be interesting to see a presumably fully functional Jedi Order. And Pete, I just want to throw something out here. I don't know if Leslie Headland is listening late, uh, right now. Maybe all the Padawans make it to the end of the season. How about that? <laughs> I've seen recently somebody... Uh, propose an alternate universe where the Padawans home alone Anakin and like hit him with buckets of sand and and things like that which I couldn't help but find hysterical um, but to have uh, Lee Jung Jae who's just become this massive international star get this chance in Star Wars to play this Jedi master, he's voicing the footage they showed talking about, you know, what uh, Jedi will come up against, what the challenge is. And again, we're viewing this from without because the story told from the Sith perspective here, will there be Jedi other than what we've seen with Anakin or account Dooku fall and go to the dark side. I think that's really, you know, the potential for this show, the, the titular, the acolyte remains to be seen at this point. But, you know, you look at a really interesting and diverse cast from Amanda Stenberg, uh, Daphne Keene from Logan, Jody Turner Smith. And, and that's just the tip um, in terms of what we know, there's an even deeper roster than that. And uh, very, very few names known at this point. In fact, uh, one character, we know a name of who they're playing. Rebecca Henderson is playing High Republic fan favorite uh, Vernestra Rowe that, uh, you know, people have really grabbed onto in those series of uh, books and media. And I think that's part of what's so exciting about the Acolyte taking place when it does. I, I mean, I, I think listeners know that the High Republic era was kind of intentionally set aside before this show, certainly before the show was, was shot, um, but kind of as it, as a brand new spot in the timeline for multimedia, for novels, comics, and so forth. Um, I've checked out the first of the books and it didn't really land with me, but that's not to say that I won't, you know, after the Acolyte, I might be like, you know what, let me go back and try it again. Oh, now some of the references are landing better, or now I understand the world more, and to be able to discover this, you know, can I say it, Pete, extended universe that has been chugging along for the last several years in other forms of media, that's exciting too. I mean, you know, I'm sure we're, we're going to talk at some point here that the line, heir to the empire, was uttered this past weekend, you know some of these some of these novels comics etc really can have staying power and a trajectory of their own 
So from Andor to the Acolyte, we went to the active show right now with the Mandalorian and uh, showrunner John Favreau, along with fellow creatives there, Dave Filoni and uh, Rick Famuyiwa, who's been elevated this season to uh, a producer, talked about how this show, how this portion of the universe is getting ready to culminate yeah it'll be interesting to see uh i know even today pete just in the last couple hours you know the hollywood reporter has an article some fans are down on this season you know we say it week in and week out on our mandalorian podcast you can't really understand a season of the mandalorian until the season is done with um add to it just the watchability of these episodes and i think you know the the wisdom of doing the book of Boba Fett as, as its own series to really kind of elbow its way to say, yeah, there's all these different star Wars shows, but there is a Mandalorian corner of the universe, corner of the timeline and so forth. It, it's got us prepped for uh, chapter 23 that was screened there that as we are recording uh, drops tomorrow, uh, it's got us prepped for the conclusion of the season with chapter 24 and, and everything that is beyond. Famuyiwa directs both. The 23rd chapter is phenomenal. <laughs> I would watch it as soon as you possibly can. And it's going to make clickbaity. I mean, boo on the Hollywood Reporter for, you know, running this story. The Mandalorian fans turn on season three. Some claim a, quote, massive drop in quality. I mean, th- this is... This is YouTube uh, culture at this point that they're kind of uh, dignifying uh, in that the the loudest disgruntled voices really get the play. It, it It's not worthy of a story. And then the comparison there of, you know, uh, Star Trek Picard <laughs> surging uh yeah go go listen to our uh discussion of episode eight and we'll talk about surges there um so i guess james hibbard has uh determined here either he needed to uh get some copy in or he's really looking to uh anger some people at lucasfilm but like i said wait till tomorrow and uh the the number of hold your breath moments that happen in that 23rd chapter. Um, Famuyiwa promises resolution to this third season, to this uh, idea of what they began with the book of Boba Fett as well. And uh, I I think they'll land it, Matt. Particularly, you know, the, the, the announcement that at some point and more recently clarified that could be six or seven years from now. Um, Dave Filoni is going to be directing of a film that is another culminating event to all of this. Um, I feel like the next two episodes can be a bit of a trial run for that. Not that either, you know, these next two episodes nor uh, the the movie when it happens that they need to be the end, just you know, an end to a chapter and i don't mean chapter as an episode i mean chapter as a you know a a significant chunk of the overall narrative um pete absent from the mandalorian thus far this season has been uh gene carlo esposito i think we all expect him to return at some point and he certainly returned uh at uh star wars celebration to taunt the audience yes coming out there long live the empire grand or no it's not grand moff he's just moff Gideon. We got Grand Admiral Thrawn uh, down the line here. But uh, yeah, we've missed his presence, though it's loomed. And uh, uh, I think maybe he's going to show up. What do you think? Um, but this, with this presentation, with the screening of the first of the last two episodes of this season, Favreau and Filoni really pushing secrecy. I mean, you you forget that they held Grogu back. You know, they did not put that through with the licensing people so that you can have the Grogu this and the Grogu that that Christmas. 
that has remained their approach. It, it's actually not just their approach. It's really kind of the approach right now with Star Wars in general, because if you're looking, a lot of the, um, you know, memorabilia, the merchandise, it tends to be a year later that it's coming out. So just like us, Matt, those people, the Hasbros of this world, the, the licensees are watching the show as we're watching the show and then designing the stuff instead of that leaking out ahead of time. And that's a good thing. Moving on to uh, the skeleton crew, which I have to admit, Pete, I kind of had to remind myself um, while happily there are no divisions within Lucasfilm in terms of like, you know, it's my stuff, not your stuff and all of that. Skeleton crew is a, mandalorian era show it is you know part part of uh what uh, john favreau and dave filoni are directly overseeing and all of that so the the further excitement towards this show uh the notion that it really is kind of that 80s kids movie flavor of it i know i was watching a clip of um of favreau and filoni talking about just kind of wanting that amblin era entertainment that's not just that's not for kids that really is for families and not for families dumbed down to kids it's just for the family like an indiana jones or an et or that sort of thing um and i i feel like i i need to keep reminding myself of those two things a it is mandalorian adjacent so watch out for does it get set up in the next two episodes uh do we have a uh, uh, to be continued this does it come off the heels of ahsoka all of that stuff that again mandalorian adjacent and also it it's not the kids show it's the show with kids that is giving us another vantage point of the galaxy far far away yeah um no date given yet on when we'll see this remains to be seen and if it'll be the end of this year or early into 2024 and then we've still got ongoing writers guild strike discussion and the streaming slowdown but uh here kids in a galaxy far far away swept up into a big adventure that uh john watts pitched uh during the spider-man far from home shoot uh john favreau happened to be there and the footage uh you know you get the amblin you know spielberg feel Really, the Goonies, I'm sure there's a, a part of them that would like to evoke the Stranger Things, which, of course, was evoking those other things um, in that footage, you know, uh, 80s tracked neighborhood style uh, setting on an alien planet was really kind of an interesting mashup. Um they announced their directors have not told us how many episodes, but we know that uh, Watts, David Lowry, who's directed uh, The Green Knight and then did the Pete's Dragon remake for Disney. Um, the Danielses, you may have heard of them, Matt. The, the Oscar winners, indeed. Uh, Jake Schreer who uh, is directing Thunderbolts, okay, preparing to uh, go into production there on that Marvel film. Uh, of course, Bryce Dallas Howard, that's completely in her wheelhouse with this material, and uh, Lee Isaac Chung. Among other things, Pete, I feel like, can I assume that Bryce Dallas Howard is directing as much as she wants to right now? Because if if I find out, oh man, she's approached Disney multiple times about doing a feature or show running her own thing. Like if I find out that Bryce Dallas Howard's being kept on the bench versus, you know, I know she's, I believe, a mom within the last two, three, four years. If she's like, hey, I'm happy to, I'm working as much as I want to work. Great. If she's not getting as much work as she wants, that's a shame because she's all over some of the best star wars stuff that's been that's been given to us in the last several years um i i don't know matt again you know the hollywood reporter gave life to an anonymous rotten tomatoes uh fan in a headline massive drop 
in quality. So I'm sure they'll attempt to uh, somehow stir up controversy that Bryce Dallas Howard has not been given a feature film in Star Wars just yet. We'll talk about the film side of the universe in just a bit. Um, the the child cast alongside um, Jude Law was, of course, there in the footage. Uh, Mandalorian's pirate uh, character from season three, Vane, returns, the one who got away uh, in the, the pirate subplot this season. Um, one of the kids is a motion capture uh, character, uh, a Max Rebo alien, a uh, Ortolan. Uh, so that'll be really a lot of fun. And uh, one of the uh, kids' parents you may recognize if you checked out uh, Better Call Saul, Carrie Condon, Irish actress uh, who was a mother uh, on Better Call Saul, the um, – the daughter-in-law of everybody's favorite fixer hitman there, Mike Ehrmantraut. So lots of potential in a, in an increasingly familiar portion of the star Wars timeline uh, with skeleton crew, but obviously kind of new, 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 a, a certain, I mean this as a positive, a certain lack of nostalgia in terms of, you know, again, new, all new faces top to bottom. Again, trying to crack the, the, the the recipe here we move from that we now talk about ahsoka which of course is coming out before skeleton crew uh the ahsoka series you know steeped in fairly recent nostalgia um familiar characters and so forth and i think for a lot of people really potentially the cornerstone of you know star wars offerings in 2023 i mean we'd been anticipating this and seen so little breathless for a, a date we still don't have the exact date but rosario dawson came out they confirmed later in the weekend at their solo panel there would be eight episodes on solos in this pete <laughs> uh, a solo panel as in well, just by themselves <laughs> let's let's not get back to the confusion of why is ray with a younger Han Solo that, you know, people could seem to get past that. That's a real criticism people had of the solo star Wars story, uh, four months after, uh, the last Jedi. But, um, Rosario Dawson said that there could be a second season of Ahsoka. I, I imagine there will be, or she'll pop up elsewhere. Um, but, you know, heavens, they are they are not holding back. Uh, she told us our her character is looking for someone. Is it Grand Admiral Thrawn? Is it Ezra Bridger? Is it both in a show that now we've been told will come out in August? Marvel Secret Invasion, Matt, which, of course, we're all ready podcasting over there on the secret invasion feed uh has had its date announced for uh june 21st so those six episodes would take them right to the first wednesday in august august 2nd i imagine maybe you give it a buffer week or two but at least we know a month now not as if that can't change and or originally announced for August of 2022 and then pushed to September to give us his first three episodes all at once. Um, but you know, this, this gave us the greatest look at, uh, this show yet. And boy, is there a lot to check out? Well, and I think the benefit of merely saying August is, and look, I think for most fans, the fact that the dates for Andor and Mandalorian, you know, hopped around a little bit. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's my, you know, wildly disconcerting to us. I imagine amongst Hollywood circles, it's a little embarrassing. So I would propose that to say August, you sit and go, folks, episode one of Ahsoka needs to be ready by the last Wednesday in August. Come heck or high water, period, the end. Like, 
internally, maybe we're shooting for the first or the second Wednesday, but if there's some sort of snafu or if there's some sort of work slow, whatever it is, get the first episode done first and the second episode done second, you know, or else, and you have a five weeks to hit that, you know, so, so there's that. Um, the notion here that Ahsoka is uh, looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn uh, for Ezra obviously ties to Star Wars Rebels and then some. Pete, this is an op- a, a place where, you know, having had the opportunity to read the recent Thrawn trilogy, not to be confused with the Thrawn prequel trilogy, which came out chronologically after that, not to be confused with the Heir to the Empire trilogy, right. also <laughs> some guys sometimes called the Thrawn trilogy. But I'm talking about the novel Star Wars Thrawn uh, and then Thrawn Alliances and Thrawn Treason. I feel so ready for this character. I feel so ready for, you know, those uh, more recent novels, which is to say, excluding the Heir to the Empire trilogy, those novels are as canonical as the the Disney era novels get and so forth. And to have this, you know, this is one of the all-time great Star Wars characters. Yes, a great presence in animation, but I would argue Star Wars is Star Wars is lacking not having had Grand Admiral Thrawn in live action, and that of course changes this summer. Yeah, and I think a great compromise. They did this quite a bit with Rebels. Um, they've done this now with the Mandalorian, where they've reached back uh, for things that were well done in the past, and then. Uh, you know, retcon them into this canon. Um, to see Sabine Wren here, um, you know, first with a still, with the short hair, with the Mandalorian helmet, um, and then, you know, the footage that you see. There were actually two different cuts of a trailer that were screened. Um, the second one was just for convention attendees but uh in that she has ezra's green lightsaber okay uh because remember he left when he went with grand admiral thrawn and the purgle at the end of star wars rebels the second to last scene when ezra took him to hyperspace to wherever they went it was without his lightsaber um so she's held on to that she of course trained with the dark saber and learned to do that. So, you know, it's an interesting world, couple worlds that she straddled Matt. She, she kind of walks in both worlds too. Yeah. I saw a fun video on Instagram where it was, it was imagining if, uh, <laughs> it was imagining Din Djarin going through armor and saying, but I walked both too. I take my helmet off sometimes too. And it was like, no, no, not you, you know, um, but pe- keeping it squarely here on Ahsoka, I mean, obviously these these rebels characters, these characters overseen by Dave Filoni, add to it. Pete, I wish someone had, I wish I had had seen it coming that Mary Elizabeth Winstead was playing Harrison Dula. Like it, it floored me to see that. I wish I, I wish I saw it coming because that would have been nice to anticipate. Yeah, whispered for so very long, just never confirmed, and you know I would repeatedly have to point out to people you're telling me she plays this nowhere has that been confirmed and they were obviously holding it back here um the the outfit the uh you know whatever they're doing with the makeup looks phenomenal that's not easy just the same as with rosaria dawson's ahsoka they actually changed the the head tails for her show here responding to criticism that people had made can can you imagine matt um but you know and and then to get an actual chopper uh droid that they've made now and you know he was actually the first one we saw in live action he's in rogue one in a blink and you miss it moment as is the ship from rebels the ghost um but this uh, both Ahsoka teasers, you know, the, the one everybody's able to see and the one that had a couple different tweaks, uh, but was the same idea. They both completely knock your socks off. They do. I mean, super powerful 
and great um I mean great great entry points for for fans that might not have known for quite a while that this show was on its way particularly too again looking at kind of the larger Star Wars product of late to be going from Mandalorian which is you know basically a show with no Jedi I mean we've had our we've had our couple of moments here with Luke Skywalker but you know no Jedi nominally no lightsaber I mean dark saber a lightsaber of sorts and so forth but again to kind of to go from the to go from the uh the, the every the, the every person kind of end of the story uh universe with Mandalorian to something like Ahsoka that's so deeply seated in the force and force powers and lightsabers and things of that sort Pete I did read okay cuz the new the new wounded cry from the basement dweller is it's no longer uh you, you know whatever it used to be it's X took really took me out of it. And Pete, I read over the weekend how the orange lightsabers really took people out of it. Um, Pete, where did what lowly staff member decided to give a slightly orange hue to the villains in Ahsoka? What 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 brainless ninny who has no knowledge of Star Wars? Uh, showrunner director Dave Filoni made that choice the same way he chose to have. Uh, Ahsoka ultimately wield white lightsabers and the message of the trailer there that she may have trained as a Jedi. She doesn't fully identify as a Jedi. Do these uh, villains, Balin Skull and uh, Shin Hati, uh, played by Ray Stevenson and Ivana uh, Sanko, um, are they Sith? We, we don't know. There's an area here. I, I don't like the, you know, there's a set of fans that are like, Oh, the, these are gray Jedi, gray Jedi. Like you're, you're Jedi or you're, you're Sith. I, I do believe in absolutes, uh, Obi-Wan. Um, but this may finally explore that in the TV film universe so okay and we've had a yellow lightsaber we've had a purple lightsaber like it's visually interesting to explore these other colors they align themselves kind of to those diametrically opposed sides speaking of sides matt well pete if we could stick with the lightsaber just for one more second i would say this i watched the trailer multiple multiple times i and the orange, let me put it this way, the orange color, it didn't jump out at me. Like, this is not yeah. orange like the fruit. You know, I know Dave Filoni uh, amidst the larger issue of it's perhaps indicative of them not identifying with one side or the other and so forth. Um, he had said he was taking reference from, you know, some of the, the imperfect coloring uh, of special effects, specifically Darth Vader's lightsaber back in the original trilogy. Um, I did not watch the trailer with any knowledge of this discussion of orange lightsabers. I didn't watch it and say those are orange lightsabers. So I think there's that too. Like there was a little bit, uh, Pete, there's a little bit of a you know fan meltdown here in terms of, oh, they've taken away my red lightsabers. I didn't even notice they were kind of orange. So there's that. Yeah. Um, but as I was uh, moving towards here, I thought, the greatest surprise in this Ahsoka trailer is Genevieve O'Reilly's uh, Mon Mothma from Andor that, you know, she is alive and well and part of this rebellion, uh, New Republic, uh, post Return to the Jedi, and uh, really excited about that. Yeah, that's a great addition. I suppose time will tell, is she in it? barely is she in it tons is it something in the middle to me it makes sense i mean we we didn't know her fate after return of the jedi but we know her we know that she didn't you know die in some sort of fireball or something so you have the character again let's say let's just assume that perhaps she's limited to hollow messages and things of that sort you're already filming Andor season two to be able to just plug her in and go all right what we're gonna do an hour in front of the green screen, as you say, you know, 
recent events have done like whatever it might be it's right there for the taking and it really just adds adds coherence to this uh to this story universe we also have the droid huang uh voiced by david Tennant returning uh really fun there uh diana lee in in osato's uh magistrate first scene in the mandalorian um that ahsoka battled uh is back as is kevin kiner uh scoring who did the clone wars and star wars rebels and does bad batch so like all the themes there in fact uh came out of the convention that uh kiner had collaborated uh with um ludwig Gorenson to uh bring in Ahsoka to the Mandalorian. So clearly they have a, a palette of themes they're ready to use there. As for the directors of the series, we have Dave Filoni, of course, Steph Green, who we've seen with Watchmen, uh, Peter Ramsey, who is one of the co-directors of the beloved Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, um, Jennifer Getzinger, who we've seen doing Agent Carter, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Westworld, uh, Gita Patel, who's had success with, with uh, Runaways, more recently House of the Dragon, uh, and more from Rick Famuyiwa. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe all of those names are not well known, and you know, n- none of them are the Daniels with with uh, the Oscar win recently and so forth. But when it comes to TV directors, that's about as all stars you can get. So you have this massive. Uh, panel on its own after the showcase the day before and we had seen Grand Admiral Thrawn from behind still didn't know the actor and they uh, brought out Lars Mikkelsen who had originated the animated version of the character um, you know with a really soft voice and all that and uh in that second version of the trailer you even get to see him with the the blue skin and the glowing red eyes he is our live action as well grand admiral thrawn yeah really great uh great presence and it's funny his name has been connected to this so long Mm. albeit unconfirmed that when it was like you know and he's walked out and wowed the crowd things that sort i was like Really, that wasn't official, you know. Again, I get it that there's stuff that gets reported in, you know, Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, Variety, and so forth, versus you know the official PR uh, rollout there. Um, Pete, with all of this Star Wars being made, uh, they Kathleen Kennedy did say that they're not currently developing a second season of Obi Wan. Um, I'll just note that that can go in the pile with a whole bunch of other things that Star Wars isn't not, 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 not working on, but isn't currently working on right now, but won't not work on it later, maybe in the future, question mark. <laughs> and you had an Obi-Wan panel uh, with Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen and Lyra Blair and Indira Varma and, you know, all talking about the experience of having made the show we watched almost a year ago. Um, but they kind of use that as a way to say, hey, you know, I'd really like to make some more and we'll see. Like everybody else, you know, they're they're not immune to what's going on throughout the industry. It is an expensive show to make. It might be a beam counter type of situation i mean i I don't know that you can't argue we're not at peak star wars now in terms of output and we're about to talk about the the film side you know uh and and the number of projects launched there um but i i really don't see the cause for concern if they remain interested and obviously there were a bunch of people in a convention hall in London this weekend that really want to see more Obi-Wan. We'd be down to see and podcast more Obi-Wan. They'll make it happen. 
there was lots of discussion about the Lucasfilm uh, film side of things. Uh, first and foremost, the nomenclature for the different eras, along with Pete, really cool designs. I mean, some of which go all the way back, some of which are new to my eyes. Pete, take us through uh, starting with 25,000 years ago all the way up to uh, the movie that we'll be discussing shortly. Yeah, so they've designated that the dawn of the Jedi, this 25,000 year i i guess before battle of yavin or are we going to do 25k bby (laughs) as a designation um followed by the old republic the high republic which for you know two years plus now has been this publishing and you know starting to get into some some game space and and now um you know on the tv side uh we have the fall of the jedi Okay. obviously Order 66, there's the rise of the Empire, the age of rebellion, uh, the New Republic. That's your Mandalorian time frame. And then we have the rise of the First Order, not initially shown, is the furthest set that 15 years after return. I'm sorry, rise of Skywalker. Um time on the timeline which is uh the new jedi order so maybe we'll stick with that in the new jedi order portion of the timeline the i want to say pete mostly surprising i mean look we know that daisy ridley had met at lucasfilm (laughs) um maybe about two months ago and just said you know visiting some old friends which could could have could be for a project that was announced this past weekend or could have been visiting with old friends or could have been for something that was going to be announced in a year or, or two years or three years or whatever so in that regard not super surprising but similarly it was not on my list of predictions that we would have announced ray returning 15 years after the rise of skywalker um that that is the movie that's going to be directed by charmine obeyed chinoy um that's that the script is still coming together. That's the one like, oof, we're, we're moving without everything. Settled, well, they're trying okay. to finish before a strike potentially so that, you know, it's not going to gum things up. This is the one that started with Damon Lindelof, um, had a co-writer there. And now, uh, Stephen Knight, who maybe has the most interesting resume in Hollywood, Matt, he created, who wants to be a millionaire <laughs> and show ran Peaky Blinders and now is writing a Star Wars movie? It's 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 a heck of a career. It's a heck of a career. Um, so that film, certainly the door open to other characters that could return. Again, okay. I don't want to sound negative on it in any way. The fact that there's so many moving parts in place, I mean, or, or in play rather, the last thing that Star Wars needs right now is another movie that's breathlessly announced and then six, eight, 10, 12 months later gets quietly, you know, taken out back and sent to the farm. Yeah, I think we'll see this movie. I, I really do. Um, you know, they're so far into the process. I know that Lindelof's statement that, you know, a, an imperfect Star Wars movie project shouldn't exist uh the way credits and arbitration work he's got to be lined up at this point to get one um and i'm completely comfortable with his contributions given his you know considerable resume and the things he's worked on um so to set that 15 years after the rise of Skywalker, I mean, granted Daisy Ridley's, you know, not aged that much in a couple of years since she last played Ray, but they'll make that believable. Um, you have to imagine she's not the protagonist of this film, but a significant part as she's rebuilding the order and then what threats they're facing. Um, you know, I think I've expected um, you know, John Boyega's Finn to return. I have to imagine 
they're hammering it out. It might be complicated. Uh, things were not the best on his end in terms of uh, how he was treated over the last couple of movies uh, by the public, um, by some of the story. I think maybe thought he'd get a little bit more to chew on. Um, but what's teased in the rise of Skywalker that, uh, he's force sensitive. And then now 15 years down the road, will we get to see that really hopeful that we will. It was, uh, during this portion when it was mentioned that, uh, that the Dave Filoni Mandoverse movie is six to seven years away. Um, which I feel like to me, that makes more sense versus that's going to, they're going to start filming this summer and it's going to be out in two years, that kind of thing to, 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 to kind of hedge it and to really, to recognize that Mandalorian plus book of Boba Fett, we don't have three complete seasons yet versus ahead of us. We have Mandalorian season four that's still being put together and unseen Ahsoka unseen skeleton crew. So just the point being, we're not even really at the halfway point of the the new republic era of the storyline here to hold off a to hold off the 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 star avengers type thing for a big movie debut to hold that off for down the line i think really is a smart way to go and you know lost in the sauce here is that he's directing a feature film for the first time this this is his uh live action debut he did do the first three that were assembled as a film for the, the Clone Wars movie, those first three episodes, essentially. Uh, but back to 25,000 years uh, before all that, Matt, uh, James Mangold, who's also directing a little movie called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, uh, as he finishes that up, he has been tapped here to do the movie, uh, the thing that starts it all with the dawn of the jedi before the old republic and again you know i'll just return to this metaphor of the recipe clearly it's going to be deeply seated in jedi stuff so we get our lightsabers and our force and our cloaks and our this and our that but the fact that it's so far removed from the rest of the timeline i think that's a benefit just in terms of keeping star wars fresh and you know, to go back to the Kenobi series for a second, for as much as I would like a second season, narratively, I would say, for what? Like, what's that going to bring us in the second season? Now, to be true, you can make the same argument for the first season, and the first season was delightful, but, you know, versus the Mandalorian-era stuff that is playing off of each other, and, the you know, the, the best of things that work might continue in other shows and so on and so forth, uh, let alone feed into publishing and merchandising and all of that um less so with a with a second season of of obi-wan um but with this um you know with this twenty five thousand years ago and all of that another opportunity to really open up just brand new storytelling a brand new storytelling time period that doesn't need to ultimately hew to and that's how it feeds into the Death Star and Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, which is great. When it works, it works. But I think at a certain – 40 years from now, are we, re, are we really going to do a show that has an interesting subplot that's like – and they didn't know that they were making lenses for the Death Star. You know, It worked for Andor. We don't need to do that 40 years from now. Can, can you imagine? So the film is billed as a biblical epic. Like they're going to – discover the force and the first Jedi and making lightsabers and light side, dark side, all of that. Could you imagine like 2001 uh, apes scene style? One of them draw one of the early Cro-Magnon Jedi or Sith draws a circle in the sand with a little dot on it. Oh my God, that's the Death Star plans. <laughs> um, but tying into this idea of an even longer time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, the interesting announcement that the crawl, the opening, um, you know, prologue for, to this point, just the Skywalker saga 
uh, movies is now back and it's for all movies. I mean, to me, that makes sense. And I guess, I guess at the time to not have it in Rogue One and Solo was a way to somehow communicate to the audience that this is different. Maybe cooler heads have decided in retrospect that this is a Star Wars thing. And if you're going to do, you know, blasters and lightsabers and the force and, you know, space cowboy, all that stuff, have a darn opening crawl that it's a Star Wars thing. Uh, to me, it to me it makes a ton of sense. Um, we had some of the 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 the, the cap was doffed towards. There are always still great ideas in Star Wars. Ryan Johnson, Kathleen Kennedy said that she speaks to him uh, frequently. Gave the impression that like they speak weekly, but he's so busy with Knives Out three that he still can't think about Star Wars. Uh, ditto for Taika Watiti. He's a very private writer, and he only works on his own stuff until it's ready to share. So no one's really bugging him. Uh, I guess. I mean, look, it doesn't hurt to sit and go, Ryan Johnson, we will pay you $100,000 to deliver us a draft when you're ready. Taika Watiti, ditto. If, and here's, you know, I don't know, 50 grand, here's 20 grand to keep to, to, to tide you over. And if they never deliver a script, you say, okay, it was a pittance to pay them. And if they deliver a script and you go, yeah, this is terrible, we don't want to do it. Well, it still was cheap at whatever the, whatever the first draft rate would be. To me, it is just weird. And I mean, they do this in Star Wars. They do it with Star Trek Universe as well. Like, there's never anything that ever goes bad. It's just always Ryan Johnson, Taika Waititi, Game of Thrones guys... Um, who else is it? They all have stuff that's back burner, but none of it has been officially canceled. It's like, really, really, Pete, let me ask you this. Are the Game of Thrones guys really laboring away over draft 15 of their trilogy? Are they no, really still doing they're, that? They're, they're out. <laughs> they, that's over. Um, I think again, it's the microscope of being Star Wars and you mentioned Star Trek we hear this now with Marvel. It's funny, Matt. You never hear this about a lot of the million other things in Hollywood where it also happens, where people are brought in, where people exit projects, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, Brian Johnson still wants to make Star Wars. And I, for one, am super hopeful he still will. Um, I think The Last Jedi is awesome. Um, it's different yet uh, similar. And this whole idea of, you know, don't give me Star Wars again, uh, but give me my Star Wars and make it my Star Wars, yet also make it different from other Star Wars and, and Star Wars. Like, can can we just realize that Star Wars is Star Wars? It's like the people that say that, oh, this isn't Star Trek. This is new Trek. These these distinctions don't hold up. Um the Taika Waititi thing is interesting for me in that not mentioned there is uh, Christy Wilson Carnes. She, of course, the 1917 uh, writer and Oscar nominee who was co-writing that with him. So when Kathleen Kennedy says he's writing away and doesn't want to bring anyone else in, is that like on top of the writer that was already writing that with him? Look, sometimes Star Wars projects fade away into the night. Um, I think your point is a good one, that they were more than happy. They, Star Wars, Lucasfilm, were more than happy to get the credit that Oscar-winning writer Taika Waititi was co-writing with an Oscar nominee uh, and a female at that, and et cetera, et cetera. And then fast forward to this, and, you know, Taika Waititi, genius. Le let him... Let him you know, uh, Shakespeare in love style, sit in his room completely alone as he <laughs> sharpens quills and makes ink, you know, like we, you don't rush, you don't rush genius. So I don't know. Pete, I do know this. Uh, another division of Lucasfilm also does Indiana Jones movies and um, that Dial of Destiny trailer, absolute perfection, yeah. selling you on, on all of it, selling you on the effects, the, the D.H. Harrison Ford that he's, Pete, he who tends not to be 
uh, very effusive on red carpets and such. He's so excited about the footage that he's seen of de-aged himself uh, and just, you know, a real a, a real player where I think maybe six months ago it was like, oh, they made a thing to, get, you know, it, it's, it's Indiana Jones 5, The Search for More Money. No, this looks legit. It does, and I think this trailer has really erased any trepidation people might have of a final outing here, and and that's what they're out in front of saying too. Like this is it for this character. Hopefully, it's not it for the universe, and I still really want to see a short round uh, series or movie movies. Um, but it's a tremendous trailer um the uh six minutes of the movie that they screened that also uh made its way out uh looks really fun um and you know that technology you're talking about they haven't you know taken harrison ford and de-aged him these are it's composite it's both you know, similar to the technology with Mark Hamill, uh, you know, in that there is a performer on set, but then they've also combed through every piece of footage they have of Harrison Ford and they've used other takes and things that never made the films and all that in order to construct this. And Pete, just a reminder to our listeners that we had done podcast coverage of Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, Temple of Doom on the Pop Culture Podcast feed this past winter uh, with Last Crusade. And what I'm told was a fourth movie. Uh, we'll be covering that ahead of the June premiere of uh, Dial of Destiny. So certainly looking forward to uh, to that. Yeah, I've uh, gone back and rewatched here and uh, really excited to talk about that out of the film side into the animated tv side mad and and back to star wars uh tales of the jedi has received a second season this of course the kind of like mini animated clone wars era um uh cartoon that uh was pretty well received with that first season yeah i think that not only uh, not only was the first season, you know, warranting of a second season, I know Filoni had a quote to say that, you know, just as the Jedi need to uh, need to cultivate Padawans, so too does he take time to return to his roots at kind of, you know, doing Star Wars animation and talking to those, you know, to those newer talents. And, you know, let's be honest, Pete, for as, for as successful as Star Wars animation has been, lately you know it's not held in the same breath as you know the films as the mandalorian ahsoka and so on and so forth so for filoni to kind of recognize that george lucas looked into star wars animation and gave the hand to dave filoni and now look where star wars is as a result uh so too filoni is cultivating the the, the next generation and all of that no space pun intended um so that's that a really wonderful anecdote more Bad Batch, final Bad Batch season coming uh, with more Fennec Shand that, that your Ming-Na Wen. Worth mentioning, Pete, Ming-Na Wen um, was the uh, moderator for the Return of the Jedi panel. So kind of there she is, kind of still in Star Wars orbit, even though, you know, even though the next live action appearance of Fennec Shand is not necessarily known. Uh, I guess we'll find out tomorrow if that's... How, how good a prediction that is or not, but um, always great to see Mignon win. Yeah. Uh, Bad Batch, I think, has kind of run its course. I don't think the second season was anywhere near as good as the first season. Um, but it's okay, though. And, you know, we stick with these characters and, um, you know, seeing what goes on with uh, – kind of our window into this show with uh omega or omega if you're so inclined and then uh something i still haven't dipped my toe into i've been meaning to but you know there's just so many hours in a day star wars visions uh towards the end of a celebration here was announced it will receive a second season and boom uh check it out on may 4th <laughs> that's not far at all 
Uh, the return of the Wedge Antilles character, certainly welcome. Yes, and Dennis Lawson back there. Ewan McGregor's uncle. I know, I don't know, I, I felt like the first season of Star Wars Visions had some interesting points, had some other points that didn't land for me. Certainly it's, you know, kind of much as with the Filoni anecdote, it's interesting to see different perspectives, and if they're going to have a label like Star Wars Visions be kind of a, an incubator for for far-out Star Wars ideas, let it be so. Well, more to say, Matt, over on patreon.com slash Geek. Indeed, our thanks to all who support us there, keeping us listener-supported as we make our way through Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, and more. So our thanks to uh, all those patrons. And Pete, let's keep the Star Wars conversation going. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,834 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, it's looking back lost. Do me touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P and the H, all one word, like it today. Pete, we will keep talking Star Wars this Saturday, Star Wars Saturday, for our Mandalorian podcast, continuing with Star Trek on Star Trek Sunday. For now, though, time for me to say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. Goodbye there, 